it sounds great. Oh, they're getting rid of cookies. I hate cookies. But what if they replace it with something that we don't know is there? Right. I mean, how do we keep an eye on what the replacement for cookies is going to be? It's a great question. And I look forward to having that discussion with people who are much smarter than I that are in cybersecurity. Yeah. Because, you know, what is the EFF going to say about this? What about Santa Clara University's Markola Center for Ethics in Technology? What are they going to say about this? Yeah. I mean, there are so many um, organizations that are going to be following up on this. And none of them like cookies in the first place. <laughs> so I think they'll be, uh, you know, radars up to uh, to see what Google does next. Because whatever Google does next, you know the industry is likely to follow. Hi, Scott. Happy New Year. Thank you, Michael. Happy New Year to you, too. I don't know if I feel excited about 2024 or more like Betty Davis and all about, all about Eve saying, Better buckle up. It's going to be a bumpy ride. That is a great, great movie. But I always look at the new year as sort of like spring training, like anything can happen. Optimism abounds. We all have a clean record. Let's get going. Yeah, let's get going. All the <laughs> all, te all teams are in first place. Exactly. Yeah. First hour. So, OK. Well, we had some interesting news last week and we, and we were we were obviously on vacation, but. I think the big one is that uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, the disgrace, uh, they call him disgrace cryptocurrency wunderkind, uh, is not going to have to face a second trial. Now, I know it's, uh, Glenn Reynolds, the college professor that runs the blog Instagram, he titled that, It's Nice to Be Nomenclatura, meaning if you're sufficiently connected, rich, or famous, you don't have to go through all that messy little stuff that regular people do. I mean, he's he's going to serve time, but he's not going to have to have a second trial and add on to it. And the um, uh, Justice Department, I believe, said that the reason was that most of the testimony that would be in the second trial was already covered in the first trial. So when the judge does sentencing, he will take that into account. I'm not yeah. sure if I'm a... Poor kid living in Harlem, I get that kind of explanation, but yeah. Yeah, and I think this is almost like retrying the case. Yeah. And the first time it went so incredibly well for the prosecution, they got everything they wanted. The decision from the jury came down in a manner of hours. Yeah. Um, and so I think he will get a whole lot of years and a second trial not only would not have added to that sentence, um, but would have been just the same thing all over again. So this is a way to sort of save the taxpayers money. And once again, I think pat the prosecution on the back and say, oh, well, you guys won big time. And why relitigate this when That's we know? Yeah. 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 Okay. Now, FTX, meanwhile... Uh, because of the bankruptcy laws and the the rise in the in the price of Bitcoin, uh, the amount of money that FTX has left over that was going to be in the bankruptcy is much higher than how much people actually lost at the time. And so, but those people have been extracting all that money. So FTX is trying to claw back some of the billions that were 
in theory lost during this run-up of of Bitcoin over the last few months. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I don't know that FTX deserves to claw any of it back. I think some of the people that FTX took from illegally should yep. get it back. And you're right. Um, one of these exchanges, I mean, we saw the fall of FTX. We saw a near collapse in Binance. We've seen so many of these crypto exchanges go down. And yet, as we've talked about, the price of Bitcoin remains surprisingly strong and robust. Investors are holding on to it. They're buying more of it. And I know they're there for the hope of an ETF to legitimize it, et cetera, et cetera. The fact is people just love crypto and love holding some sort of crypto. Bitcoin has risen to the top. And if that means that FTX has more resources, more money, doesn't that mean they can pay the people they owe? And shouldn't that be what they're doing here? And I hope that that's what happens. And you could argue the people that bought into FTX were going to hold that most likely. And so why wouldn't they get the current price rather than the then price in their recompense? Right. I mean, I think people that get into Bitcoin um, from the exchange level on down realize what a crazy volatile investment this turns out to be. So I don't even know how you would judge what it was worth versus what it is worth. This is a currency that in the last few days has gone up and down by $2,000 a day per coin. Um, yeah. And so it's really hard to imagine this as anything as sort of a currency as opposed to just sort of a speculative investment. And I, I don't see it changing all that much in, in any time in the near future. Yeah, except it's $42,000 right now or something like that, which is mind boggling. Right. Uh, Yes, it will remain mind-boggling simply because, look, it's a coin, and the only reason it has value is because people decided it has value and because there is some limitation to it. Um, but it's not valuable because you can buy something today and know that that thing will retain the same value tomorrow, a la the dollar. So it's, it's just so speculative and volatile. Okay, we're going to look back, I think, on 2023 as the year of AI, the year that average people discovered AI. College kids are fooling around with ChatGPT. I see examples all over the place of people going into, into chat, learning how to ask the right questions and getting back, not great copy, not necessarily accurate copy. I mean, they just did a test on how, chat, how AI did with diagnosing uh, pediatric cases and it was wrong 80% of the time. So it's got a ways to go. But, you know, Moore's Law, it's going to get smarter and smarter. Um, well, now Microsoft, you know, they've introduced their own um, AI chatbot. And uh, now they've done the next step, hardware. So Copilot is now going to be a key on the new Microsoft keyboard. What do you think? Is that is that a turning point in history or is that just a little bit of, you know, PR? I think it's a little bit of PR. I think the turning point in history was the introduction of ChatGPT. And you're right. That was a really important move in 2023. I would only push back and say I think it will become more in the public in 2024. We'll figure out its gains, its limitations. Um, and, you know, you're right, like Moore's Law, it will grow, it will become more convenient, it will perhaps become more dangerous. We're, after all, in an election year, and you know people are going to use AI for deep fakes. But the idea of a 
button push away um, is pretty doggone convenient. And it's interesting to have seen through the years how Google tried to make search easier and easier, you know, to the point where you type in a letter and it would sort of guess the kind of thing you're going to search next. But this is literally just one button push and you're talking with the artificial intelligence assistant. You're talking with ChatGPT. So it could democratize this thing even more because anybody can push a button. You don't need any sort of background or knowledge. And the next thing you know, you're off to the races with AI for better or for worse. Of course, Microsoft, they want you to stay inside the uh, the, the kingdom's walls. So it's not a chat GPT button. It's a co-pilot button. But they're kind of alike. You know, um, if you talk about democratization, you know, we are about to enter the world of chat GPT-4, which is really powerful. But on top of that, the company, OpenAI, is a is in the, within weeks, I think, of opening its store. Now, if you go back to the history of the iPhone, the iPhone got a lot of publicity, was popular. You know, one of my kids even camped in front of the store overnight to, to buy one. Um, but it really didn't explode until the arrival of a store that could sell apps and average people. If you remember, I remember going into Pete's in Los Altos. Every other table had two or three grown adults sitting there with their computers out, and they were putting together apps in the hopes of becoming, you know, getting selected in the top 10 by Apple and then getting really rich. Well, now we're about to see it, I think, with the rise of the uh, OpenAI store. Everybody's going to start coming up with specialty apps for AI, and that's going to be amazing. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think this is what will bring um, AI to the masses. And I think ChatGPT and, and credit Sam Altman uh, is a genius for doing this and coming up with the API to do this, uh, much like Apple came up with the API to create apps for the iPhone. And I 100% agree. That was the turning point. That's what put iPhones and, and smartphones in people's pockets. You know, Android eventually had an app store of its own. It created an entire um, an entire economy. I mean, the idea that you would make a whole bunch of money designing and putting out apps, it brought billions of dollars into Google via the App Store and Apple via its App Store. Um, and it just, it was a genius move. And, and I think, um, you know, OpenAI is making a great move by by being out front in doing this. It'll remain to be seen how it, uh, you know, pulls this off. Remember, it announced the App Store and then had all that Sam Altman, is he here, is he yeah. not drama. They put off the App Store and now they're they're going to do it again. Um, but they have to figure out, like AI in general, whether they're altruistic or where they're accelerationists moving forward. It's a, that's a whole different podcast. But once they figure out where they're going and have a strong direction, I think this App Store could be the difference and a big, big way for average people to do AI things without even realizing they're doing AI things. Yeah, it's going to be it's so embedded right. that we'll just have, get answers almost before we ask them. It should be very interesting. By the way, Sam Allen, do you know yet what the real story is on that? Because I was, I was on the BBC 
BBC World, a business a show called Business Matters, goes around the world. And I was asked, well, you're in Silicon Valley. What happened on that Sam Altman thing? You know, I said, well, he was fired on Tuesday and rehired on Friday. I said, the details aren't clear yet, but we'll know one day. I figured you're going to know before anybody. You know, I, I think we've been able to put this together. And I give a lot of credit to the people who just focused on this, you know, uh, Kara Swisher and the Pivot Podcast. These people really dug down for 72 hours and did damn near nothing else besides try to figure this out. It seems like the company had an identity crisis. You know, it was started to be on the altruistic side, saying we're going to do this as a nonprofit and make sure that AI is used for good. And then it gets all this funding and Altman comes in. He's very beloved. VCs think he's just the best. They give, uh, you know, Microsoft makes a gigantic investment. You don't do that to uh, essentially a nonprofit. You do that to make money on the back end. And they also had and were able to hire these brilliant engineers. They came forth with ChatGPT and then GPT-2. And they just realized they were so far out in front. And then they're selling, um, you know, evaluating the company by selling off some of the shares to, you know, the, the market. And all these things are what for-profit, you know, gigantic tech companies do. And I think there was sort of a back and forth on, wait a minute, because some of the people on the board said, we're supposed to be <laughs> a nonprofit. And others were saying, yeah, I've got your nonprofit right here in, you know, trillions of dollars and whatever. So I have a feeling that's what it came down to. And really, you have to choose a side. Nonprofits do great things. Tech companies are just not nonprofits. They are greedy and they are hoovering up the money and, and tech startups do that. That's just what they do. And I think ultimately that's what OpenAI had to choose. And they chose Altman, who's really good at being a successful tech startup leader. So Alma's a guy that takes away ChatGPT's open AI's innocence, his virginity. It's a it's a company now. Yeah, I mean it's it's him, but it's also the deal with Microsoft. Yeah. Um, I mean Satya Nadella wasn't all of a sudden getting into the nonprofit business. Um, he was competing with Google. He was competing with Meta, and uh, you know these these companies are in this arms race for engineers and for ways to use AI. And it's dangerous. It could get into the wrong hands. It could be used badly. But if we're going to be excited about it, it has to move forward because it certainly is in other countries and those are competitors as well. So I think that's sort of what this came down to. And I'm sure there was pressure from Altman that maybe moved some of the board members in the wrong direction, but also Microsoft and Satya Nadella. I mean, come on, who's bigger right now? Um, I mean, this is the company with the second largest market cap and it's extremely successful, persuasive CEO. Okay, you just mentioned Google. Did you read what Google just did? Are you one of the select, elect 30,000 who no longer have cookies? Uh, I'm pretty sure no. Uh, <laughs> I am going to operate as if I'm still being tracked, if that's what you're asking. But apparently Google's getting rid of cookies, and they're testing it with a small number of people. That's going to have a radical impact on advertising. Just what do retailers and manufacturers do if they can't do cookies? You know, there will be other, yeah, there will be other ways. I mean, Google was one of the earliest 
with the cookies to track us and, and yep. you know, get, sell that ad, ad, that um, information to advertising. So they'll come up with another way if they haven't already. And, and that's what I'm curious about. They said, well, 1% now, but eventually they're going to get rid of cookies. Good for them. They're kind of a pain. They clog up your computer. I'm interested to see what's next. And as someone who does his best to uh, not have his personal information out there, uh, you know, I look forward to trying to dodge whatever is next. Um, so that my ads come in with very little knowledge of what I am. Yeah, it makes, it sounds great. Oh, they're getting rid of cookies. I hate cookies. But what if they replace it with something that we don't know is there? Right. I mean, how do we keep an eye on what the replacement for cookies is going to be? It's a great question. And I look forward to having that discussion with people who are much smarter than I that are in cybersecurity yep. because, you know, what is the EFF going to say about this? What about Santa Clara University's Markola Center for Ethics in Technology? Right. What are they going to say about this? Yeah, I mean, there's so many um, organizations that are gonna be following up on this and none of them like cookies in the first place. <laughs> so I think they'll be, uh, you know, radars up to, uh, to see what Google does next because whatever Google does next, you know, the industry is likely to follow. Okay, let's get into chips real quick because chips are on fire right now. And even Intel is getting great predictions and forecasts for the coming year. Well, are you going to CES next week? No, I'm not. Yeah, you get spared that yes. part of it. <laughs> uh, Qualcomm's going to be there. I'm just bringing this up because this is yet another example of uh, companies getting into more into AI. Qualcomm's bringing a hot new chip called Snapdragon for uh, virtual reality. Uh, so I think we're going to see a run of new device, new, new semiconductor devices over the next six months that are going to be very oriented towards AI, uh, robotics, and virtual reality. And it's going to be a very interesting time. It may, it may reshuffle who the winners and the losers are in that market. I agree. And I think there's a huge market for those three things specifically. And I think one of the big stories of 2023, I mean, think about the year that chips had. There was yeah. the whole shortage. And so they were in demand and then they were just, you know, they overcame that shortage. And then you had the CHIP Act, or the CHIPS Act from the Biden administration that really kickstarted it. You had the rise of AI and oh boy, what that did to NVIDIA's market cap, not to mention AMD to an extent, a lesser extent, Qualcomm and Intel. It was the year where these chips really built a foundation for AI and proved that they weren't just commoditized anymore. They were really crucial to the whole game. And I wonder as we get into robotics and, and VR, if uh, if the chip companies once again are gonna be the, the bells of the ball. And boy, if, if those stocks continue to take off, I mean, I know some people who work for NVIDIA and yeah. just a couple of years ago, it was like, well, those are the grindstone. And now they're like, which island should I retire to? I mean, it's been an incredible run. And we haven't even, Fully seen NVIDIA's move into AI for automobiles. That's going to be interesting. They have a, they have a, a skunk works there working like crazy, as I understand. I've heard that, and I, I think the delay might be that we haven't really seen the move of automobile companies getting into AI for automobiles. I mean, AI making mistakes is one thing if you're writing a term paper or asking for a poem to be written. 
it's much different if you're driving 70 miles an hour somewhere and the AI makes a mistake. We're a little early and that's why there's so much concern about self-driving. And, and I know that's a, a slightly different topic, but it really is also AI and some of it, uh, the fear is that it's getting ahead of itself, but it's also very much based on chips. Well, you know, with China becoming a, a, a non-destination for chip companies, uh, Taiwan is in this constant threat, this crisis mode. A lot, a lot of these operations that moved back to the U.S. that ship back to tons of money, they're starting to build the fabs, but they're not going to come on stream for a couple, three years. But I bet the delivery schedules have been bumped up. They've got to be working 24 hours a day to get those fabs up. We could have a real renaissance, our golden age of semiconductors sitting out there in 2024, I mean, 2025, 2026, 2027. This could be a real interesting time to be in that game. I agree. I think one of the reasons that that's happening is because chip companies are so hot. You know, when they became commoditized, people weren't as excited about the stocks. They weren't as excited about working there. Who cares if they were made in Malaysia or China or wherever, right? I mean, people just didn't think about it as much. And now that the action is where these companies are. Um, I think, you know, you're going to see a lot of people saying, hey, why not create more jobs here to enjoy that success? And it's going to be, it's going to happen in places like Indiana, you know, and Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania. It's going to be in interesting places that we don't think about uh, when we talk about semiconductors. That's It's going to change our perspective on that industry. Okay, next up. Uh, do you know the company Click? Have you yeah. seen Click is going to introduce its CES at the Consumer Electronics Show? It's a little keyboard that snaps onto your iPhone, essentially giving you a 1982 BlackBerry. I was going to say, people have not been able to quit the BlackBerry yet. No. It's been a long time. Yeah, and you know, it, it, it's... Keys are pretty small, but they're still bigger than being 70 years old trying to tap the screen. You know, if you, you can actually touch type with little hands, you could go pretty fast uh, sending in some messages off the, off that little keyboard. Is is everything new? Is everything old new again in electronics? They keep just thinking back. I was just thinking the same thing. You know, I've got teens and they want record players to play vinyl and People who have phones want to go back to the BlackBerry. Next thing you know, at home, we'll be reintroducing the rotary dial and phone booths outside on the street. Oh, I mean, and then we'll churn our butter. But yeah, I mean, why not? You know, people just love, and getting back to the very beginning of your of your show, like people love to create apps. They love to create add-ons for these phones. And why not just make it uh, <laughs> retro? Yeah, well, you know, it, it reminded me way back in the uh, in the seventies. Uh, Texas Instruments, I think it was Texas Instruments, Motorola was competing against Intel, and Intel came out with a big advertisement that said, "We have the only single bus. You know, the bus is the way you transfer data. We have the only single bus architecture in the semiconductor industry, and they use that to gain an edge on the other big companies." Well, 15 years later, or 20 years later, Intel came out with an advertisement saying, 
featuring the exciting new two-bus architecture. So, you know, everything's a circle in this industry, and we think that we're so modernistic and moving into the future. But, you know, my sense is we're not that far away from going back to silicon on sapphire chips and bubble memory and all the stuff that we knew that was hot in 1989 is going to come back in some way. I just know it. AOL is probably going to come back, too. <laughs> and as you know, I've, really, I've never um, really left. <laughs> yeah. My prediction is not so much technology, but as EVs take off, and yeah. it's going to be a while before an EV charging station is anywhere near as fast as a gas station, right? So I think the um, the hamburger and shake sort of, uh, you know, brought out to your car with the little side thing hanging there from the 50s. Yeah. I don't remember this, but my parents tell me about, it. you I know, do. yeah, and you can get the, the tray and someone will come out because you're going to be sitting in your car for a little bit charging up in this way, bam, you can have a meal by the time you're done. You're all charged and off. I like it. The revival of Mel's drive-in with chargers. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Patent that idea. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly. Okay. Finally, uh, this is, I really mean finally, an American teenager, 13 years old, uh, has become the first person ever to beat Tetris. Well, I always thought Tetris was never going to be beat. I mean, it came out in 1984, and it seemed designed not to be beatable. And this kid apparently did it. He got the kill stream, kill screen at the end, uh, uh, where it, Tetris basically froze and said, I surrender, or whatever it did. And they caught it on, on screen, and uh, the kid starts screaming, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then he says, I can't feel my fingers. Now I think that's a t-shirt. I can't <laughs> I can't feel my fingers. How many thousands of hours did this kid play Tetris? A game that everybody else on earth has long since forgotten. And yeah, finally, it's interesting that you know you talk about what's retro and what's hot and everything and to know that Tetris made headlines was like, whoa, it was, you know, like 2024. I think uh, the same week, um, you know, Wham! went back to the number one slot with its Christmas song. So we're like, wow, we are truly back in the 80s. And it was a very impressive accomplishment. Wake me up before you go-go. Well, right. And uh, so, I don't know, video games, I guess, are made to be beat. But you're right. I always thought of Tetris as just there was always going to be one shape that didn't fit or whatever. And, yeah, and you were never going to be fast enough and you were going to get yeah. tired and your fingers were going to cramp up, but this kid soldiered on through numb fingers <laughs> and finally beat it. Good for him. So uh, Bully for Willis Gibson completed all 157 levels. <laughs> that's a lot of Tetris. That's it for now, folks. You can find us on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>